up on the second verse. That's what's coming up now. Okay. Today is the 14th Sunday after Pentecost, and we have some special prayers to pray this morning. Uh, in this uh, service bulletins you were given, you have a purple insight in, insert <laughs> uh, that has two special prayers written by people in our diocese to pray for the persecuted church in the Middle East. You know, the first 300 years of the Christian church were lived in persecution, persecution from the Roman Empire, and yet the church survived those persecutions. Today we're going through another period of persecution, not here in the West yet, but in the Middle East with churches that are suffering great loss and great misery. And so the bishop has set aside today and tomorrow as days of special prayer for the persecuted church and asking everyone to even consider the possibility of fasting tomorrow, which is the Feast of the Holy Cross, uh, in order to ask God's blessing and protection on those people. Let us begin our prayers on 355 in the prayer book. Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of thy Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. Lord God, heavenly King, almighty God and Father, we worship you, we give you thanks, we praise you for your glory. Lord Jesus, Christ, only Son of the Father, Lord God, Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world, have mercy on us, your 
seated at the right hand of the Father. Let us pray. First, the prayer of the day. O God, because without you we are not able to please you, mercifully grant that your Holy Spirit may in all things direct and rule our hearts through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Now let us pray together the first prayer for the persecuted church that comes to us from our parish in Fort Mott. Let us pray together. Loving Father, you heard the voice of the Israelites in Egypt, and you saw their affliction and their toil and their oppression. So now hear the groans of your children as they suffer in Iraq, Syria, Sudan, Iran, Nigeria, and throughout the world. Comfort and strengthen them through your Holy Spirit. Let them be witnesses that their oppressions might see and turn to you and hasten to bring them out of their suffering with a mighty arm and an outstretched arm. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. And our second prayer for the 21st century martyrs that comes from a parish in Bluffton. Let us pray together. O God, make speed to save and hasten your persecuted world worldwide. Send your Holy Spirit to guard and guide our Christian Christian brothers and sisters. May their faithfulness in the face of affliction inspire us to stand firm in our faith and to boldly proclaim your gospel so that their deaths may not be in vain, but their blood may be the seed of your church, that their martyrdom may lead to conversion and and that that their death death may lead to new life through Jesus Christ, Christ our Savior. Amen. Amen. Please be seated for the readings from the Holy Scriptures. Go trade back. A reading from the book Ecclesiastes, which can be found in your Pew Bible on page 472. (coughs) Chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 and chapter 12, verses 9 through 14. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. 
utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads, their collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from the 83rd Psalm, which can be found in the Book of Common Prayer on page 707, verses 1 through 5 and 13 through 18. We will read responsibly by half verse. O God, do not be silent. Do not keep still, nor hold your peace, O God. For your enemies are in tumult. And those who hate you have lifted up their heads. They take secret counsel against your people. And plot against those whom you protect. They have said, come, let us wipe them out from among the nations. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. They have conspired together. Made an alliance against you. Oh my God, make them like whirling dust. And like shaft before the wind. Like fire that burns down a forest. Like the flame that sets mountains ablaze. Drive them with your tempest. And terrify them with your storm. Cover their faces with shame, O Lord. That they may seek your name. 
Let them be disgraced and terrified forever. Let them be put to confusion and perish. Let them know that you, whose name is Yahweh, are the most high over all the earth. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Good job. Go ahead. Good job, guys. Will you stick this underneath? Stick it right underneath. Thank you. Anywhere. It is our custom to pray for the preacher on Sunday morning, so I invite those of you who would like to come forward to lift hands over Tyler. Lord, we lift up to you our brother Tyler, whom you have chosen to speak your words to us this day. Lord, give us clear minds that we might listen intently, hear the words that you speak to us, Lord, and take them in our heart. Yes, Lord. Be with us in all that is said and done in this place this day, Lord that it be done to your greater honor and glory and a means of drawing us closer to each other. It is in your name that we gather and pray and all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good morning, Tyler. There's something humbling um, about the music of your high school days being relegated to the classic rock station. <laughs> and some of my music in high school and college was already classic rock, so 
Perhaps they're oldies now, I don't know. Um, one of them that I listened to um, with some aunts was Pink Floyd. I have a hard time imagining them on the oldies station. Um, but in many ways, at least in this song, they're a little bit ahead of their time. They have one song by that name, Time, and one of the verses goes like this. You run and you run to catch up with the sun, but it's sinking, racing around to come up behind you again. The sun is the same in a relative way, but you're older, shorter of breath, and one day closer to death. The sun is the same in a relative way, but you're older, shorter of breath, and one day closer to death. Puts things in perspective, doesn't it? And I might suggest to you, although I'm not sure, um, that the author of these lyrics was probably, or at least knew of, the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, They wouldn't be the only musician to have heard this book. I think the birds sing a song to every season, turn, turn, but that's a few chapters away, and we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. <laughs> but think about those words, about, about the sun and chasing the sun, and the sun stays the same, and yet we get older and shorter of breath and closer to death. Does that not sound like our reading this morning? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. I love this one. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where the streams come from, there they return again. There is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. The conclusion? Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. And this is the book we'll be preaching on for the next six or seven weeks. Get excited. (laughs) I'm guessing there's a good chance that you're asking um, one or both of these questions. Who on earth would want to do a seven-week sermon series on the meaninglessness of life? And the second question is probably this. Why is this book even in the Bible? Why did the Holy Spirit allow the compilers of Scripture to put this book in here? What does it have to do with anything? Is that not the Christian message that life actually does have meaning? That God loves us and cares for us and numbered the hairs on our heads? Why is it even here? I hope we can begin to to grasp the reasons for these questions this morning. Why would we preach on it and why is it even in Scripture? Um, And I think when we dig into Ecclesiastes a little bit, we'll realize that there's more there. There's more than just the surface understanding of vanity, vanity, all is vanity. There are clues in the book that point us to something greater, something um, beyond what we can see, something from without that might actually be penetrating this world. 
And so this morning I want to um, introduce our sermon series. We're going to look at, at some of these features of Ecclesiastes. We're going to do something that scholars called exegesis, which means we're going to read Scripture and decide what it means um, and see how it points us to Jesus Christ. And so I ask that you, you engage in that. It's actually, it's actually quite fun. And we're going to set this book in a context that encourages us to look for something more, something greater, something that we can't see, something that we can't experience with our senses. And so as we do that this morning, I tell you it would really bless me if you pulled out your Bibles. I'm, even, I'm going to use the same Bibles you've got this morning. Um, you have NIV Bibles in your pews. They're red. Um, if you brought your own Bible, by all means, that works as well. But if you, if you, if you don't have one, as, as most Anglicans don't, um, have them in church at least, uh, they're in the pew. You're on page 472, by the way. Um, Ecclesiastes is buried between Proverbs and Song of Solomon, two great books um, on their own accord. But Ecclesiastes is there right in the middle. And there's a reason for that, and we'll talk about that in a second. 472. And if you were paying attention this morning, you notice in our readings that we read the first half of chapter 1, which is the first chapter in the book, and the last half of chapter 12. And the reason for that is there are actually two speakers in this book. There is a narrator that introduces and closes the book, and in the middle, there is another voice, the voice of the teacher, or some translations call him the preacher. And these two um, voices have different outlooks on the world, and they, have, they come to different conclusions about this world, okay? And so we're going to look at the voices, uh, what is their worldview, and what do they conclude about life. And the first um, voice we want to look at, although we didn't hear from him this morning, is the voice of the preacher, the voice of the teacher, okay? And so he's introduced, first of all, in chapter 1, verse 1. The narrator is summing up um, his teachings, and he introduces them as, as such. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. And if you go on, verse 12, this is now the teacher speaking. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. Any of you folks know, perhaps, who the writer of this book want, wants us to understand is the teacher? Who is it? It's Solomon, right? They want us to um, consider at least the possibility that the teacher is Solomon, so a wise man, a king of Israel, son of David, or someone of his ilk. We don't know for sure. The book doesn't say, I am Solomon, or this is Solomon writing, but that's a, a good, uh, um, as good a guess as any. But, but we, want it, we want a picture here, a king, somebody with great wealth and great power, somebody who has great wisdom. And so when you think about Solomon and you think about Israel at the height of its power, at the height of its wealth and status, you think about the Queen of Sheba coming to visit King Solomon for his wisdom, that's the sort of person we should understand as the preacher. And he decides from chapter 1, verse 12, all the way through chapter 12, verse 7, that he is going to explore everything under the sun to find meaning and purpose. 
everything. So he's going to look at wealth, work, wisdom, justice, time. And in the process, he's going to consider the opposite of all of those. Um, poverty, laziness, injustice, foolishness. Um, whatever the opposite of time is, he looked at that as well. Everything you can imagine, this man explores. And he records his observations. And he concludes this. He looks at everything, and he concludes one thing, that all of it is meaningless. <laughs> Vanity. The Hebrew word hebel literally means vapor or smoke. Meaningless. Nothing. Now there's um, another voice. Um, scholars call it the frame narrator. Or we can just call him the narrator. Um, but the frame narrator, he, he, he frames the story. And in a sense, he gives us a lens by which to understand what Solomon is talking about. Or what the, what the preacher is talking about. And so, um, verse 1-1 one, one through verse one 11 is the narrator, and he introduces us to the teacher, and he sums up his teachings, and then he speaks again at the end. Chapter 12, um, he starts at verse 9. Why don't you turn your Bibles there to 478? Again, we don't know exactly who this person is, but there is um, a, a hint in here. He says in verse 12, Be warned, my son, of anything hidden or anything in addition to them. Um, be warned, my son. And so is this somebody who's trying to impart wisdom to his son or wisdom to um, somebody he's mentoring? We're not sure. But it's somebody who has taken the teachings of the teacher and he just says one thing in addition to them. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. So we have this narrator who has framed out what the teacher is saying. Now, what are the worldviews of these two different voices? And we're going we're to go through these quicker now. Um, the preacher, okay, he repeats time and time again. He says all is meaningless, all is vanity. And he's, but he says this, under the sun, I explored everything under the sun and concluded that it is all meaningless. He has looked at everything he could possibly imagine with his five senses, and his conclusion is that it is meaningless. The life has no meaning. The biggest one for him, I think, is the death. He says, look, everybody dies. You could be the holiest person or the most sinful person, and it doesn't matter. You're both going to die. Meaningless. Everything under the sun is without meaning. And the amazing thing is this narrator, um, he affirms it. So if you looked at verse 9, he says, Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The narrator is saying, listen, this guy is right. The preacher, the teacher is right. Under the sun, if that is the limit of your vision, under the sun is vanity, meaningless. But our narrator has a, has a bigger worldview, does he not? Because he says, like we read earlier, 
Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. The narrator has a bigger vision. He sees God. Fear God. Keep his commandments. It can't, what you do isn't meaningless because it will be judged. It will be weighed and balanced and considered and tried and judged by God. There is meaning in your actions. There is meaning in this life. And one day you're going to find out what it means. And what it has meant to God. And what it means for you. There's a narrator in this, this book that has a bigger vision. He's looking beyond the sun. Um, or to, to use the words of our title of the sermon series, he's looking above the sun. And he sees something more. And so the preacher lives under the sun, looks under the sun, sees under the sun, and all he concludes is that life is vanity. It is meaningless. But the narrator looks above the sun, and he sees God. And he sees a God who is just, who is righteous, and who will judge. Now, at that point, that doesn't actually sound like too much better news. <laughs> so, okay, so either life is meaningless or there's a God who's going to judge all of us. Well, okay. We shouldn't fear God's judgment. We should want a just God. A God who judges. That's a good thing, friends. What if God didn't judge sin? What if God said, well, you know, everybody can kind of do what they want. That's okay. They know what's true for them. And they can all have access to eternity and live with me and holiness and righteousness forever and be just the same as they are right now. Does anybody want to do this forever? Yes, there are glimpses of heaven in this world, but, but, but there's a lot of suffering. Nobody wants to do that forever. We want a God who's going to judge that, who says, no, suffering is wrong, evil is wrong, sin is wrong. I don't want that in my presence. I won't have it in my presence. And so a God who judges sin, is, that's a good thing. That's good news. And so we have a God who judges, and the reason his judgment is good news is because we have a Savior who forgives. As Christians, we know that God wasn't content to let us do the best we can. He came down from above the sun. He inhabited this earth. He lived among us. He walked among us. He died for us. And the God above the sun judged his life and raised him from the dead. And now everyone who believes in Jesus Christ, who has received his forgiveness, we, we, we sit, we are, we are hidden in Christ. So when God looks at you, and when God looks at me, he sees us hidden into 